Good morning, Redeemer. So good to be with you. We're continuing the journey through Acts. We went ahead a little bit last week so that Pastor Matt could preach a passage he loved uh, about Paul in Athens, and I got to preach a passage that I love today about Paul bringing the gospel to the West, to Europe, to Philippi, and the team with him, and how salvation comes beautifully to them long ago, to us today. We'll read from Acts 16, beginning in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord to you. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept on doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everybody's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped." But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." 
And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who saves. You're the God who brings salvation to a whole world of people in Christ Jesus. You did it into Philippi. You did it into the Western world long ago in the story before us. Thank you that you do it now with us. You can do it for the first time today. You can do it for the nth time in our lives today. Bring salvation to us. Jesus, come to us. It is in your name that we pray, in your name that we hope, in your name that we are saved today and forever. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of my favorite historians is Thomas Cahill, he writes sort of narrative histories. He died just about a year ago. Sadly, he wrote six books in a, in a, in a planned seven-book series called The Hinges of History. My favorite is the first of those that he wrote in the series called How the Irish Saved Civilization. And uh, it's just, he's a wonderful author, and his big idea is this, is that we typically learn history in thinking about the long epochs and the stretches of history, you know, the Dark Ages or the Middle Ages or the Renaissance, and you think about these long stretches and you think about patterns and thought that, that evolves there. But he says, really, that the key points in history are at the inflection points, at, at the hinge points, at the turning point spaces, when things are changing. And that's when we learn most about the world and about people. He sort of says, you know, the Irish beginning just before the Dark Ages began were this people that had received so much of the gospel actually from the Far Eastern Church brought across Africa and to them and, and that they had this amazing, wondrous pocket of the gospel there in Ireland and people like Patrick and others brought the gift of the gospel throughout Ireland and really to the whole Western world. But there's somebody before them that does this. It's Paul and his team here that are breaking out with the gospel in the Western world. Here in Philippi, they've met closed door after closed door after closed door throughout Asia. And then they have this vision in Troas in the middle of the night, Paul does, where there's a man in Macedonia saying, would you please come over and help us. And Paul and his team are these gift givers, these treasure bearers, if you will. Really, it's Jesus through them that is giving the gift of his salvation to Philippi and making that a gateway city, much like San Antonio is really a gateway city, right? For a whole region of the world. Salvation comes. And when salvation comes, long ago there in Philippi, or to us now today here, wonderful gifts from God are given to us. Let's think about 
what happens when salvation comes in and through the gospel of Jesus. There's sort of four panels in the story, and let's just walk through them together and think about four ways in which salvation comes to us. When God brings salvation, first of all, in the name of Jesus, he's going to open hearts to Jesus. Think about the story of Lydia. Here's Paul and his team. They, they're over in Troas. They sail across, right, the Aegean, and they get there uh, to that part of, little part of the Mediterranean, and, and they get first, the text says, to Samothrace, and then they sail over to Neapolis, and they make an overland trip to Philippi. Philippi is so much like San Antonio. It is a gateway city on the trade route between Asia and Europe. All kinds of commerce is there. It's a global city of trade and commerce. It's a place of great beauty. It's a place that is a Roman colony. It was also originally a, a Greek place. And so it, it has these wonderful cultures blended together. There's a sense that we are a, a people of Roman authority and power. There's a strong military presence, a strong retired military presence there. Very, very much like San Antonio. It's also a place where there is much confusion and struggle and pain and oppression and suffering, much like San Antonio. I just heard a statistic this week that San Antonio is either number one or number two in our country in terms of being an outpost for human trafficking. This is the kind of place Philippi was. This is the kind of place we are. And so here is Paul breaking in with his team, and they do their normal strategy together, and that is they try to find a synagogue, and if there's no synagogue, then a place of prayer. There's a, there's a place of Jewish people or God-fearing people, people who are attracted to Judaism but maybe haven't come all the way inside Judaism yet, praying to the God of Scripture, right? But not knowing about Jesus as the one who is God come to save and bring all the blessings of the gospel to them in the world. And so Paul always tries to start in those kinds of places. It was a place of prayer probably because there were not enough men to call it officially a synagogue. So we meet a lot of women there. And one of those is Lydia. Lydia is one of those people I've been hearing about my whole life with Bible stories way back on flannel boards in Sunday school when I was a little boy. And we tend to exalt Lydia, right? She is this powerful woman. She is this person who's a great businesswoman. She's selling purple goods, royal goods, goods that are dyed of the finest fabric. And she's obviously very successful there in this region. She's a God-fearer, so she's someone who's come alongside this Jewish community. She's praying. She's worshiping. But she needs Jesus. She has to have Jesus. She has to have her heart opened to Jesus. I read something by John Stott this week, New Testament scholar and Anglican pastor, that was beautiful. He said, you know what? We call her Lydia, and the text calls her Lydia. It almost certainly is not her real name. She's from Thyatira. She's from the region of the old kingdom of Lydia. She's the Lydian woman. She's the one who sells things. She's the one who's that part. It's almost like that name associated with her 
is to point out that she really is nothing to the people around than what she does and what she sells and what she brings. And she desperately needs salvation. And what does the text say? It's one of the most beautiful texts in all the Bible. God opens her heart to respond to Paul's message, Acts 16, verse 14. God opens her heart to respond to Paul's message. We're all like Lydia. We're all struggling to find a name, and all we can do in ourselves, right, is just be the sum of what we sort of bring in a utilitarian way to people around us. That's the only name they can really give us. But God wants to open our hearts to give us the name of Jesus, to, to let us be called Christian, to let us be sister or brother in the household of God, to let us be children of the Heavenly Father in the beloved Son, Jesus the Christ. And God opens her heart and she responds to Paul's message. Uh, we've got a little cat that we have brought into our family. We call her Rosewood since we live on Rosewood Avenue. Um, she, it gets shortened real quick to Rosie. And uh, she's a sweet little cat, a tuxedo kind of cat. And, um, and yet she's not super smart. And so like even this morning, what I had to do is, is she spends most of her day and night outside, particularly likes to be outside at night, but she'll come and claw early in the morning in our back door and I let her in for a little while. And then Fran's been training her now to be completely sort of outside for most of the day and, and, and doing business outside and, and rather than a litter box and, you know, and eating outside. And so, but Rosie just can't figure out still yet where the food is. And so she put her back outside and Fran put her food out. And yet she's still sort of clawing there at that back, you know, wind, you know, French door on the windows. And I have to go to her and I have to go and open the other door right by the kitchen and call for her and say, Rosie, come here, Rosie, come here. And then she'll come and I'll hold her and I'll pat her. And then I have to literally put her right down there by her food. And then she goes, oh, I can eat. <laughs> That's what God does for us. He comes all the way down to us in Jesus. And then he calls us and he calls us in such a way that we can actually respond to it because he's doing more than sort of picking us up and patting us and putting us in front of the food. He actually moves by his spirit within us to open our hearts to respond to the gospel of his love. When salvation is coming, when it comes to us for the first time, when it comes to us for the nth time, God moves in our hearts to respond to the wonders of the good news of Christ crucified and risen for us. Now, why is that good news? That God has to open our hearts to respond to the message, as, as Dr. Douglas Kelly says, that he has to actually turn on the receiver within our souls to receive the signal of the gospel coming so that the signal comes in and the music of the gospel 
plays within us. Why is that good news? Because it means that even my faith is a gift from God. That none of this is of me and on me and my believing and responding to Jesus is actually part of God's gifting to me and God will sustain me there and keep me there and hold me there. Well, you say, well, why doesn't God do that for everyone then? If God so loves the world that he gives his only son for the world, why why doesn't God do that kind of heart opening for everyone? That's a great question. And I can't completely answer it to your satisfaction. But what I can tell you is this. God opens a world of hearts. God opens, as he told Abraham, as many hearts as there are grains of sand on the seashore and stars in the heaven. God opens as many hearts as the book of Revelation sort of describes it, as there are 144,000 worshiping around the throne at the, at, the, at the end of all things, at the beginning of new heavens and new earth. That's not a specific number so much as it is the fullest of numbers times the fullest of numbers times an infinite number in Hebrew numerology. God does this for worlds of people. And the real question is, is God, has God, is God doing this for you? And if he has, then our privilege is to respond with joy, to take that new name, to let that identity, just as it did for Lydia, take over our lives and to delight and hope in him. When salvation comes, God opens hearts. Secondly, think about this slave girl in the story that Paul and the team meets, that when salvation comes, God brings freedom in Jesus. Here's this slave girl, and she's got a gig. She's got a gig to be a fortune teller there in Philippi, except for it's more than an act. She actually has some abilities to touch down into the future by demonic spirits that are within her in some way. There were a whole group of these people in this region, in Philippi and the surrounding region, who were sort of priestesses of the, the, the Delphic temple of Apollo. And sort of there was, there was this idea that there was this great snake that guarded the temple of Apollo and the oracle of Delphi. And that there were python-spirited women who could speak, who were sort of almost mouthpieces for the Apollo God. And, and, and literally the text here calls her filled with a python spirit. So, so Luke is drawing all of this down, this historical reality down. And this woman is enslaved by this demonic spirit. And she's following Paul and Silas and Luke and the group and Timothy and crying out, you know, sort of behind them, these men are messengers of the Most High. They are telling you how to be saved. What does she think when she's saying that? Um, she's, you know, language here is very interesting that Luke is using. And she's probably thinking, well, she's talking about Zeus or about Jupiter, and they're telling you how to have a flourishing life 
under the gods and under the king of the gods, right? And Paul is just annoyed by this. The text talks about him just day after day of this happening, and he's got, he's got a holy annoyance about it. He's got a burden about it. He's not angry or frustrated with this woman. He's just burdened at her enslavement and, and the false messaging coming from her and the twisted messaging coming from her. And finally, he just turns and he calls out to the evil spirit within her in the name of Jesus Christ, come out. And that very hour, the spirit leaves her. This, this slave girl who has no freedom in life whatsoever. She's completely enslaved to her owners. All the profit that comes from her fortune-telling goes to her owners. She has some kind of celebrity here in this region as a known sort of fortune-teller, and yet it's all in this twisted, dark way that further enslaves her, and now she's free. When the gospel comes... Freedom comes. Freedom from all the spirits that would dominate us and oppress us and control us and enslave us. As the name of Jesus moves into our lives for the first time or, or the nth time, right, there's a new freedom that flows. Look, you know, I just thought about the ways that, that sort of I have been sort of enslaved this weekend to watching my horrible football team, the Florida Gators, lose again and grumbling and complaining and suffering foolishly under that. Maybe this is a year the Aggies or the Longhorns go far. And that's great, and we can enjoy that, right? But to be enslaved to that and obsessed over that, it's misery. Even if you win, then you got to try to do it again. Ask the Georgia fans that I lived around. Right? Maybe you're like me and you were really overwhelmed this week with the political situation in a new way. When you sort of see the debates of potential candidates and you wonder what can arise out of this and you, you watch the division in our government and, and thank God. I, I prayed for two things this weekend, that it would rain and that we wouldn't have a government shutdown. So I'm really thankful for those answers to prayer, but can we forge a working budget in the next 45 days? Let's pray for those in authority over us that they can. But listen, what the gospel says to you is that you're a part of a kingdom that is beyond the kingdoms of this world. That you serve a king that transcends all of this. That you can have a hope beyond of all of this division and this gridlock. And that there's a king of kings. And the gospel just frees you of these spirits of oppression. Hear this today, wherever it is for you. Addictions. Just kind of spaces where you're in utter despair. And you've got a spirit of, of just sort of darkness over you. Hear the word of Jesus here. 
coming to you through the gospel saying, you are free. It is, through, it is for freedom that Christ sets you free, as Paul told the Galatians. You are free to know and enjoy the God of the universe. Listen, there's no evidence here. There's none that other things changed for this slave girl immediately. Did she get her freedom you know, from her owners? We don't know. Uh, did, did anything good happen for her now that this spirit was out of her in terms of, of her status in the community? Things may have got much worse for her as they do for Paul and Silas in our next little panel here. So there's a lot here that may not change for her, but she's been freed and been filled with the spirit of life and hope in Jesus. And we can live in that freedom, longing for more freedom to come to us fully when Christ returns to make all things new and free. When salvation comes, right? Hearts are opened to Jesus by God. Freedom comes in Jesus by God. Thirdly, you are counted as worthy to suffer with Jesus by God, as Paul and Silas are. These slave owners, right, they're furious. Their cash cow is now gone. The, the goose that lays the golden egg is taken from them. And so they lash out at Paul and Silas. And they say, these men are Jews, like, so they're throwing prejudice at them, right? These men are talking about things that are not our customs or not helpful and right for us as Romans. They're throwing political kind of shade on them, right? Cultural shade on them. Prejudice, racially, cultural and political shade on them. And they stir up the crowds and they stir up even the magistrates, right? And the magistrates order Paul and Silas to be stripped and beaten with rods. Ironically, both of these men are Roman citizens, and the Roman authorities are beating them. You're typically beaten with rods 39 times, one lash less than what it would take you if you were to be beaten to death. We don't know the exact number here. And why? Simply because they brought the good news of Jesus to the community. We tend to think if we are living with Jesus, if we are sharing the good news of Jesus with our deeds and with our words, that all should be smooth sailing for us. That we should be freed of all of our sufferings, even as we are freed of all of our false identities and our oppressions. And what the gospel gently says to us is no. Actually, when the gospel breaks out, actually when salvation is coming and flowing, you are going to be counted worthy to suffer together with Jesus for the sake of his name. My dad died about 10 years ago of complications of Alzheimer's, and it got really ugly at the end. He didn't know who my mom was. He didn't know who I was, his only child. He didn't know uh, any of my family um, we couldn't get him to do anything, couldn't even get him to take his shoes off at night. He had the night terrors, and uh, I had to pretend to be a doctor and put on a little white jacket that I had, and when I'd come into his room, I would say, now, I'm the doctor, and, and the doctor's saying, take your shoes off, and that could get him to take his shoes off at bed, but he would get 
the sundowner syndrome that a lot of people with dementia have. And, and when things would get dark and he would just say, why me? Why is this happening to me? And it was so sad. And it was so hard. We can have a kind of spiritual dementia, a forgetting of all the gospel is and all that it involves, that can make us sort of cry out, why me? Why me to ourselves and to God? And we're forgetting that part of attachment to Jesus is suffering with Jesus. We suffer with him, Paul will say elsewhere, that we may reign with him. These light and momentary sufferings, Paul says elsewhere, are creating in us an eternal weight of glory. When the gospel is breaking out to us and through us, we are going to be called to suffer together with Jesus. When we used to on Sundays, I just started thinking about this because my granddaughters are now at the various ages, seven and five and, and like almost two and, and zero, kind of where our family was when we had four children. And, and I was thinking about what we used to do a lot on Sunday afternoons. We would, we would watch old movies that we called Sabbath movies uh, that we would watch with our kids. And, and, and they were beautiful. And one of those was the old, old Shirley Temple Heidi movie. And um, it's really, really good. I can watch it now and still weep. <laughs> and the scene, well, that didn't take much, right? But still. Uh, still. But, uh, but my favorite scene in that movie is with the old grandfather, and he's imprisoned on Christmas Eve because he's raising a ruckus trying to find Heidi down in the city. He's come down from the mountains, and Heidi's been taken from him. He's trying to find her. And, uh, and he's, he's up at the prison bars, and he's newly come back to God through Christ. He's one of the 99, the one sheep that was lost and comes back into the congregation. They're in the mountain church after he and Heidi had read the Bible together. And, uh, and he's praying at those prison bars, the old grandfather. And he just says, oh God, if you are just and merciful, would you show justice and mercy to Heidi now? And uh, he's able to break out, pulls the bars out. And he hops out and he goes after Heidi, but he has to go through so much for Heidi to actually be saved and brought back to him and into the joy of the family. And we just forget that that's what it does involve. Suffering together with Jesus so that those we love, those we may not love yet, but we will grow to love, can come to him. Let's not have spiritual dementia. Let's remember this and, and, and even rejoice when we're in this space. Can you believe it? Paul and Silas have been flayed on their bare backs. They're locked in the stocks and they're singing hymns of joy in the middle of the night over this. Now, I, I can't get there yet. <laughs> But I can get to that last panel, which is when salvation comes, there really is a joy that comes to us. Maybe we struggle to rejoice in our sufferings the way we ought. May God grow that greater maturity in us. 
But we can all rejoice today with the wonder that salvation has come to our house. Here's the jailer. His world is crashing around him even as the earthquake has crashed the foundations of this jail and all the doors are are swung open and he literally thinks because it's the ancient world way, right? If the prisoners escape, it's your life for their life and if you're in charge of the jail, you're dying. And so he's pulled the sword out to take his own life and Paul cries out, don't take harm. We're all here and the jailer calls for the lights and he comes rushing in and he says, what must I do to be saved? He's He's probably saying at the most basic level, right, how can I somehow survive all of this? But Paul hears in it the much deeper meaning, right? What can I do to be saved fully and ultimately? And responds, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole household And the jailer takes that in and receives it. The Spirit has moved in him as the Spirit moved in Lydia. And he responds and brings Paul and Silas to his house and puts food before them and tends to their wounds and bathes them. And then the last verse of the verses there say, He and his household rejoiced greatly that he had believed in the Lord. Wherever you are today, whatever pains you bring here today, whatever sufferings you bring here today, whatever depression or discouragement you bring here today, God wants to break through with the gospel and bring you joy today. Joy that you are His and He is yours. Joy that you are ultimately saved in Him no matter all the mess around you or all the mess inside of you, the doors a kilter, things askew, you are His. And He is yours in Jesus. Is God opening your heart to this for the first time today? If He is, that's beautiful. I would love to talk to you afterwards. Matt, Brian, others of us would. But if this news is just coming to you again today for the millionth time, for the nth billionth time, let it come in. Let God open your heart and respond. Let let the wonder of the gospel free you today. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength today that can even grow to the joy of the Lord in the middle of our sufferings together with Jesus. Let's be gift bearers. Let's be, let's be treasure sharers in this hinge space, in this gateway city, the way Paul and the others were of old. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this gospel. Would salvation come to us today? Move in us. Open our hearts to these things, Holy Spirit that we may respond to the wonders here for the first time or a new way. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.